1: Well, welcome back. Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. I am Seth Leaps, and our phone number is 602 is, as we say, your barrier to entry. All you have to do is call that number. David talked talk to you and put you right on, and anything on your mind, we'll toss it around. Many of you may remember the name Robert Bork. He was a famous law professor at Yale, served in the Nixon administration as solicitor general, and then became a judge on the D.C., Circuit Court of Appeals, the second most important court in the country. Ronald Reagan nominated him to the Supreme Court and Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy as senators on the Judiciary Committee went after him in a series of slanders so outrageous that Robert Bork's name became a verb to become borked became a thing. Before all that, he was a scholar of immeasurable import and conservative legal jurisprudence and, among other things, an an expert on antitrust law, primarily from the point of view that antitrust law had gone too far, too far in its restraint against business. And yet, I was thinking of something he wrote in his book, in a book of his this morning after I heard Chris Christie fulminate against Ron DeSantis for continuing to challenge the Disney Corporation. Chris Christie said, among other things, quote, Where are we headed here now that, if you express disagreement in this country, the government is now going to punish you? To me, that's what I always thought liberals did. And now all of a sudden, here we are participating in this with a Republican governor, close quote having to do with Ron DeSantis going after Disney. He went on to say conservatism was about letting businesses operate as they wanted and not to interfere with them. Well, that may be a form of conservatism, but it's never been the law of the land, and it's never been the entirety of the conservative movement. Instead, what it is is really unrestrained libertarianism. Maybe Chris Christie needs to go back to school. And the reason his quote put me in mind of Robert Bork was a line from Robert Bork's in his book titled Slouching Toward Gomorrah. This anti-antitrust scholar, Robert Bork, wrote, quote, just because markets should be free does not mean markets should be free to do and sell anything, close quote. As if that even really needed to be said, Right. Child labor laws, child pornography might be one thing. Arsenic infused in water, perhaps another. Or asbestos sealing sealant or lead paint might be a few things we don't believe. Free markets should be free to sell or market. Maybe even wet market bats and pangolins, huh? This was the whole push against, at first, slavery and then for civil rights. Does Chris Christie think cartels or other organizations should be able to traffic in people? Or children? Or lethal drugs? Does he think a business should be free not to hire Catholics or Jews or African Americans? So, yeah. When Disney decided it was going to use its brand and money to attack the Florida governor and legislature for keeping sexualized books and curricula out of the hands and heads of five-year-olds and seek for itself special property laws, Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature did the right thing and passed laws against it and returned volleys against Disney for trying to boycott Florida and slander the state and side with the woke mob that evidently itself of a sudden thinks just anything goes, even for five-year-olds. Maybe Chris Christie should brush up on his Cole porter while he's at it. Good authors, too, who once knew better words now only use four-letter words, writing prose, anything goes. That's what Ron DeSantis was fighting for young children and what Disney was fighting Ron DeSantis for fighting. But it was more than four-letter words, far more graphic than that. We've gone through those materials before here on the show. It's not fun and it's borderline legal, but if Chris Christine needs to be read the words and see the pictures from child porn, again, that passes for kindergarten education, maybe he'll understand that, no, conservatism is not about anything just goes. There was a bumper sticker I remember seeing a lot of when I was in high school. It read, people, not profits. Well, the truth is you can have both, with common sense restraints that allow for profits and protect people when we went after the likes of Seagram's and AOL Time Warner Incorporated for profiting from violent, misogynistic rap lyrics and networks like Fox and CBS for broadcasting degrading television shows, were we violating a conservative principle or conservative principles generally? These companies, those companies, while not acting illegally, acted irresponsibly and immorally, putting profits ahead of all principle. The problem is, in some ways with capitalism itself. It is an economic system that requires virtues and character that it does not of itself develop in capitalists. How did Willie Schlam used to put it? The problem with socialism is socialism. The problem with capitalism is capitalists. Adam Smith said as much, writing, quote, Concern for our own happiness and self-interest recommends to us the virtue of prudence and self-command, Concern for that of other people, the virtues of justice and beneficence, of which the one restrains us from hurting, the other prompts us to promote that happiness. Close quote. Pope John Paul II eloquently put it this way quote, Of itself, an economic system does not possess criteria for correctly distinguishing new and higher forms of satisfying human needs from artificial new needs which hinder the formation, of a mature personality. Thus, a great deal of education and cultural work is urgently needed, including the education of consumers in responsible use of their power of choice and the formation of a strong sense of responsibility among producers. Quote. In short, capitalism requires capitalists with moral and ethical tethers or instruction. Otherwise, you get Enron. Otherwise, you get subprime mortgages. Otherwise, you get redlining. Otherwise, you get child porn. Otherwise, you get dangerous products. Otherwise, you get recording companies that promote rape and cop killing. And you get publishers who push child porn in our schools and companies that defend and side with them. This is equally a problem of capitalism and libertarianism as it is humanity. Teaching children about morality, making meaningful concepts like right and wrong, good and evil, and appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior with age-appropriate materials, makes it all imperative, this instruction. It also is a duty that we have shirked until just about yesterday. Concepts like cultural relativism, multiculturalism, DEI, values, clarification— in which students are encouraged to identify and clarify their own beliefs as true, even if they are just beliefs, even if they are immature, it's all spilled over from our colleges and universities into not only our elementary schools and classrooms, but into society as a whole, including into corporate America. One could add sexualization as well. Ethical behavior from our schools, as much as in our corporations, is, in short, not an addition or interference to the bottom line. It is rather an intrinsic part of the bottom line. We might think about that with our pharmaceutical companies, too, and hope that restraining them and profits at any other societal cost might not offend the very curious kind of conservatism Chris Christie seems to be standing for. We used to have that knowledge, that learning, that understanding once upon a time. Took a long march of health consciousness and laws to stop it. Physical as much as mental health consciousness. A sense of corporate responsibility and simple decency means there are things, there simply are things no one should sell because they shouldn't be bought. And if you want a statue or memory to... the argument against that, I give you the Wuhan wet markets. But Wuhan ain't capitalism as I see it. It is unrestrained and untethered freedom, but it ain't capitalism. And it exists and operates in a country that represents all of the opposite of what Republicans and conservatives should stand for, I should think, and so too should Chris Christie or anyone else who wants to weigh in on what Republicans and conservatives should be standing for. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Proving our multilingual abilities here, right? <laughs> it's Kate Capshaw from... Uh Temple of Doom, right? Indiana Jones yes. and the Temple of Doom. It's it's a fantastic opening, isn't it? Have you ever seen that movie, David? It's a fantastic... What do we got for our pin on today? We got a lapel political lapel pin on? We yes, do every day. What do I we got do. today? Today it says Lodge. It says Lodge. We're talking Henry Cabot Lodge?
0: Yes, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr.
1: Jr. Interesting. Uh, What do I know about Henry Cabot Lodge Jr.? He was a senator from Massachusetts who lost to one John F. Kennedy. That's right. And then became the vice presidential candidate for Richard Nixon in 1960 up against that Senator Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson, right, so far? Yes, that's right. And And, then uh, Nixon and Lodge obviously quote-unquote, lost, Mm -hmm. and Kennedy appointed him ambassador to Vietnam?
0: Ambassador to South Vietnam, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And then... Did Lodge make a run for presidency again a couple of years? They tried to, maybe. That's
0: what this is from, 1964, 64. when he was drafted yeah. by a group of students uh-huh. and uh, won several primaries. As we approach the 2024 primary yeah. season, let us not forget that there is the possibility of a draft for our preferred uh, candidate. There is a yes. draft. Well, And he has, a, he has a history of being involved in a draft. In '52. one would say that one of the main reasons he lost his uh, – senatorial election was because most of his efforts were in promoting the draft of Dwight Eisenhower for president.
1: Uh Aha. So
0: without Henry Cabot Lodge, we would likely have not had a Dwight David Eisenhower in the White House. That's
1: right. That was his big attention. Right, right, right. He wasn't able to defeat Kennedy because he was working so hard for Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. Now, was there something, too, about in his 64 run for the presidency, he might have actually won more states in the primaries but it was the convention that turned it over to Goldwater? Is there something about that that rings a bell? Maybe. Uh, he did win several he states, won. He yes. won an important um, amount of states and possibly yeah. possibly enough but, but it still year, went the to the convention. Between Rocky yeah. And Goldwater, yeah, yeah, and the, the, the real battle was between Rockefeller. Convention. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, interesting. That history repeats itself. Um, Lodge isn't in the news today again but Kennedy is. Uh, and this time it's uh John Kennedy's brother's son, Robert Kennedy Jr., who made official today his announcement for the uh, run for the presidency on the Democratic primaries. This is going to be interesting, this is going to confuse people a little bit. This run it's going to be it's going to be it, it it mixes up some categories, which Robert Kennedy Jr. is good at doing, but um, he <laughs> he went after. Biden And he went after Trump and he went after Trump from what you might consider or what has been considered from the right. Uh, Reading from Deborah Hine today, Robert Kennedy Jr. said he blames former President Donald Trump for the medical and economic devastation caused by the 2020 lockdowns because he was president of the United States at the time. Even though it may not have been his, his idea, the buck stops with him. Um. Robert Kennedy Jr. said, the locked, quote, the lockdown was the biggest shift in wealth in human history. I blame President Trump for the lockdown, close quote. While admitting that Trump gets blamed for a lot of things he didn't do, Kennedy declared that, quote, the worst thing that he did to this country, to our civil rights, to our economy and the middle class in this country was the lockdown. Uh, he went on to say, in fairness, the lockdown may not have been Trump's idea, As he said, my bureaucrats rolled me on it, and I said we shouldn't do it. But he did allow his subordinates to roll him on it. And as Truman said, the buck stops here. Um, Really interesting what that's going to do. Are Democrats going to be anti-lockdown now, or at least are pro-Kennedy Democrats going to be anti-lockdown? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. He got I think he's polling at about 16 percent, well ahead of Marianne Williamson, the only other self, uh, the only other declared candidate for the Democratic nomination. Um, Robert Kennedy brings with him, though, a catalog of problems. This is one of them. (laughs) Uh, He's probably going to have more conservative support on these points than not. Uh, Maybe in states that have open primaries, people will vote for Robert Kennedy. I don't know. It's going to take an awful lot of money to go up against an incumbent president, but that is something Kennedys have tried to do before, didn't they, David? When's the last time a Kennedy went up against an incumbent president in his own party? 1980 with Ted Kennedy. That's right. That would have been Robert Kennedy's Kennedy's, uh, brother, younger brother Teddy, tried to do an insurgency campaign against Jimmy Carter in 1979, 1980. You're right about that. And I— I think it still counts as one of the greatest speeches at a Democratic Party convention. That The dream shall never die. That's it. The dream shall never die. Uh, what was the peroration? Something, the cause goes on, the fight continues, something like that? Yes, something like People that. People may remember Robert Shrum. Robert Shrum wrote that for Ted Kennedy. And ever since people in the Democratic Party who hired Robert Schrum or wanted to hire Robert Schrum tried to recreate how good that speech was. And Robert Schrum was never able to do it, just as Ted Kennedy was not able to uh, thwart Jimmy Carter as the sitting president um, in the Democratic Party. But um it is it is interesting where Robert Kennedy is these days. He's he's fighting censorship because Amazon censored one of his books, uh the book on um on uh on Anthony Fauci, I think it was called the Real Anthony Fauci, the book against lockdowns, the book against mandates, the book against vaccines that Robert Kennedy Jr. wrote. But he has some other ideas that aren't so sane. You know, this is a man who has a couple good ideas that might coincide with what common sense should dictate, but he's he's got a long career of of of, um, of uh craziness quite honestly a long career of craziness and uh, for conservatives who want to maybe cause some mischief and you know maybe due to the Democratic Party what the Democrats did to the Republicans by remember in the last election cycle so many uh, so many Democrats put money into Republican candidates they knew couldn't win a general election to create chaos in the primaries and nominate in the primaries those um, those Republicans who they knew couldn't or didn't think could get a general election victory. Maybe we should be doing that and thinking about that and helping Ted Kennedy, excuse me, Robert Kennedy Jr. out. Maybe we ought to do, maybe we ought to think about that a little bit. Maybe maybe someone ought to put together a super PAC uh, republican uh common sense for Kennedy, something like that common sense for kennedy don't put the name Republican in it, and do to them what they did to us that is the world we 're in now isn't it uh it is a we we or should be the Republicans we have been told and we have been saying we need to learn to play politics the way the Democrats play politics. we ought to make it expensive for the Democrats to run, and we may ought to make it chaotic for the Democrats. To run, and that is just one page from the Democratic Party playbook we could take and steal as they have applied it to our party. All right, I am Seth Leapson, 602 508 0960. Interesting times. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. I am Seth and it is a delight to bring back to the show our uh, constitutional law and elections law expert and attorney Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the law firm of Snell and Wilmer. Their website is sw Law dot com. Anything in the legal world worth discussing today, Brett? How are you, brother? Thanks for joining
0: Good. us. Good. Oh, well thanks for thanks for having me. I, I don't know. I'm kind of scared going on the radio <laughs> right now. I'll be honest with you. <laughs>
1: uh, let's scrape up a uh, let's scrape up a little decision uh, that had to do with uh, an agreement, a settlement uh, out of court or a settlement in court that takes the case out of court. Yesterday, Fox versus Dominion, Dominion versus Fox. Really. Um, this was a suit for what the tort of defamation. How do you describe the suit? And uh, then let's walk ourselves through what was uh, what was what was uh, decided yesterday, if we can.
0: Sure, no problem. So, as many people remember, back in 2020, there was a lot of news concerning the uh, the presidential election um, and Dominion, which is a, a manufacturer of election machines. So, when you go in and you pull the lever back in the day. Um, you know, it could be a Dominion-type machine. Um, and and here in Maricopa County, because, of course, as I always say, there's always an Arizona link to everything. Right. Uh, D- Dominion was the manufacturer and the provider of machines to Maricopa County in 2020. Okay. Okay. Um, so as part of the whole um, af- af- after the election and whether or not it was stolen and fraud, etc., um, the, the news media um started reporting a lot of the different issues that were going on with the presidential campaign as well as other third parties who were bringing suspect on the election one of the major targets in this case was Dominion and whether or not the machines worked not only worked effectively but quite honestly a lot of other theories about what Dominion did or did not do and who owned them and etc um that was that was widely reported and, and in particular Fox News, um, as as reported in this order, so I'm, I'm trying to cover every single privilege for myself right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, is, uh, it, it, Fox News basically did did a wide range of reporting across many of their different shows, and one of the main areas of interest was the Dominion machines. Dominion responded to each of those claims that were brought up during the news, news hours, etc., And then when Fox refused to retract the statements Dominion brought a a very significant lawsuit against them and as you mentioned it got resolved on Tuesday but the most pivotal actually factor in this case was at the end of March um, the judge who was overseeing this case um, basically uh, issued a ruling on what we call a motion for summary judgment Mm -hmm. which is hey there's no no issue of fact you judge you can rule on the law here right right? all Mm -hmm. fact has to be determined by juries and in that very I'll be honest with you, very well-written, over a hundred-page order. Um, The judge systematically goes through each of the allegations and and dealt some pretty significant uh, blows to uh, the Fox Corporation's um, uh, legal reasoning.
1: Yeah, let me pause you there for a moment, just for the audience. If they want to get a good overview of the allegations and why this eventuated the way it did, they can go to courts.delaware.gov and read that opinion it is it is long it's about 110 112 pages maybe but it's very detailed and easy to understand actually uh it, with it transcripts is. it's it's really very clear yeah
0: it, it is and and actually he gave credit um that significant great lawyering on both sides. of he of said that
1: case, in there you know? he did say he that did. Yeah. he did mm-hmm.
0: he did and and that's what what we actually have a problem with nowadays is is, is uh, we don't mean to get off topic on the cancel culture on lawyers Presenting and representing um, different sides of the issue. Right. Judges, as we've talked about on the show before, judges want great attorneys yep. in front of them yep. to really flesh out the issues. Yep. and So good decisions are made. And in this case, the judge gave credit to both sides on that.
1: He did. Now, this is a short segment. We'll have a longer one after this break. Brett. Sure. But it, the main suit, the main issue, was it under the tort of defamation? Is that what Dominion was suing Fox over? It was. Defamation. Okay. So when we come back on the other side of this break, can we talk a little bit about what the suit, what the tort of defamation is, what that means, what Dominion had to allege? And then let's talk a little bit about some of these privileges. I believe there were three that were mentioned. That could have gotten Fox out of the heated water here, if I'm not mistaken. Neutral privilege, fair reporting privilege, and opinion privilege. Can we do a little bit of that on the other side of this break? Because that you seemed bet. to me— that's, that's, yeah, That's, that's a lot of privilege. Of, yeah, a lot of privileges <laughs> that Fox was not able to avail it themselves of the way the uh, judge thought. So, Brett Johnson and I will be right back. Brett Johnson, partner at the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, swlaw.com. Not a— sponsor of the show or anything like that. Just great lawyers and a great friend and even great minds. Brett and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brett Johnson, partner with the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, is our guest, walking us through the Dominion uh, versus Fox News Lawsuit. Um, You laid out uh, the great um, the great facts of what was um, at, at issue here, Brett, in the previous segment. Let's talk a little bit about the law. So Dominion sued Fox for defamation the tort of defamation people say what, what what tort tort means twist basically tort is the legal term of a private cause of action for an injury. You always can correct me whenever I get something wrong uh, by the way Brett don't uh, if I ever do get something wrong, I rely on you here but uh, what what is involved in in the uh, in the tort of defamation? what does someone like a plaintiff have to? be able to prove or at least allege convincingly enough to go to court.
0: Right. Okay. And most people are hey, you've defamed me. And a lot of people don't really understand that, but basically that the the main pillar is is a false statement, right? If you can true if you can prove a, tr- a statement is true, then you cannot have defamation. So that's that's the first pillar here. It has to be of and concerning, which means it has to be about somebody and you have to be able to identify. It doesn't have to necessarily say Seth Leapson, by any means, but if if people would know that it's you that the statement is being made about, that that is n- Enough of right. and consuming concerning um it has to be published. You know, um, so that's that's one thing, something that's aired to the public um, generally, and that's actually a very easy standard, yeah. especially in this day and age. <laughs> um, then, many times when you're dealing with public figures, you have to show that there's an actual malice okay. um, that uh, you know, because people are usually, if you're out there in the news or you're a corporation, etc the, the actual malice standard um, is, is very important because it has to be like a reckless disregard. You didn't go try to find the facts. Um, so that's that's the fourth element that. And then in they have case, to in,
1: in this case Fox News Corp or FCC whatever they called it uh, corporately Fox gets to avail itself of the actual malice standard in this case exactly okay. because
0: they're a news organization because they are
1: well okay go on yeah. yes sir
0: and then the um, the last item is is that it's uh, there could be not in all cases what's called defamation per se yep. which is an easier standard and basically if you're saying somebody's a criminal right mm-hmm. I, I know I know you're an arson or yep. I know you're a murderer yep. um, or or that I. I basically am trying to injure your business reputation. That that is called defamation per se. And then, as you as you mentioned, there are uh, basically, especially in the news uh, media, there are three main. Um, defenses or privileges that are um, outlined. First is obviously, well, outside of the privileges, you're always saying, hey, this is based off a of fact. Right. But yeah, there's also what's called the neutral reporting privilege, yep. the fair reporting privilege, mm-hmm. and then the opinion privilege. So, and many people, especially when you're doing shows or, or having different media that, that have opinion Um, panels on it. That's what they're normally relying on. It's like, hey, listen, uh, and we'll start there real quick. So you usually have to lay out your facts of what you're basing it on and saying, based off of my experience, I think it's X. And that's an opinion, right? But you have to really kind of lay out some facts first. Um, the fair reporting privilege, going back up, that is a little bit different. That is if something has been published in a legal or governmental document. Okay. So even though it, it's a part of a complaint, the fact that it's been been filed and you're able to say this was filed in New York court, yeah. that is usually going to be just reading a across. government
1: document or a court document. It, it, right. Okay.
0: Exactly. And then the neutral reporting privilege is something that is – is basically hey so and so has made this allegation against against this individual and and it's a statement of basically fact that that the allegation was made um, and it's a lot harder on that that neutral reporting privilege because you're really supposed to also maybe show the other side okay if if, if it is available. So it it does get a little bit tricky especially in our modern media, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the old school um news shows anymore where it's just the facts, right? right? In this case, um everybody really has well this is what happened today in Ohio and let's let's turn to our panel to discuss right. what happened. Right. So it gets a little bit a little bit tougher. Um, um, as these privileges are flushed out, especially in the new age of media, where there's so many different mediums um, of news.
1: Now, Brett, um, this may go to the issue of whether we're proving defamation as a standard tort or defamation per se, as you outlined, but do you have to prove financial loss? Do you have to prove financial suffering as a result of the alleged defamation?
0: you you normally you do that that's usually a fact question and that means it goes to the jor- jury but any tort assault battery trespassed on my property you need to show some sort of damage it's the last element of any tort and so a lot of times especially in, in tough cases you'll go hey listen we could argue about everything that's above but you weren't really harmed here in fact your stock price went up because i reported on your news i you made know, you more famous or something news. yeah right exactly so there's an economic incentive to you and you can't show. And and they did try that here in this case, that Dominion was not um, hindered um, financially as a matter of law, and the judge said, well, that's a, that's a jury question that he, was in, he wasn't going to get to. But what he did do, and I'm just going back to the factors, he did uh, issue summary judgment in favor of Dominion, that the statements were false. Mm-hmm. And that's that's huge. Yeah. You know, a lot of times that's left to to a jury to right. really decide and kind of play back and forth. Right. Um, he also said it was of and concerning and there was a publication. He really really only punted on the actual malice standard Mm -hmm. and left that for the jury Mm -hmm. um, to make a determination. So although we were going to have a lot of different witnesses come, and I'm sure it was going to be a showcase event, the, the actual elements that the, that the jury was going to have to review and, and provide an opinion on was actual malice. And probably when, you, when the lawyers read the, the tea leaves, it's like, well, if we don't have these defenses on these other elements, we're going to be pigeonholed in front of a jury because we're really only talking about actual malice, mm-hmm. um, which is an uphill battle.
1: And the way they would have proved that or defended on it either way you would have what you would have been seeing, I suppose. Is you talked about the the march of, of of witnesses? You would have had to have seen people like Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson being brought into court to testify as to what they knew and what they didn't know, right? I mean, that's what Fox was trying to avoid, I presume.
0: That I think that that's what they were trying to view uh, pre- uh, avoid, but right. more importantly actually is their producers okay um okay. yeah, there was a lot of back and forth actually in the media um you know trying to meet Brett uh, asserting that privilege Is like hey, there's a lot of statements in the media um of of what the public uh the producers were saying back and forth to each other about the different shows so okay. although again the named people would have been witnesses, I think the key witnesses would have been the producers. I can tell you this though. For any journalism communications major in the United States, I think that Judge Ryan's order is going to be required reading for the next 10 years.
1: I bet. I bet. I wonder if uh, I could keep you just one more brief segment, Brett. Do you have time for just a couple more minutes? Because as we're going to break, I want to ask you, I think the question that would be on most people's minds hearing all this, which is how can you sue someone for stating things that touch a matter of political, public policy, public concern. Isn't the First Amendment supposed to protect political speech? Why would Fox be held accountable for political speech? If you could uh, maybe talk talk us through that on the other side of our short uh, segment after this break, that would be great. Brett Johnson is our guest, partner with Snell & Wilmer Law here, based in Phoenix, offices around the country, SWlaw.com. Brett and I will be right back. Brett Johnson has been uh, generous with his time. He is a uh, partner with the law firm of Snell and Wilmer, based here in Phoenix. Uh, S W Law dot com. So, Brett, end of day, you look at the Dominion versus Fox uh, challenge here suit, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, Fox is a is a is a news organization, it has opinion, uh, 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 you know, opinion anchors we're talking about a matter of public policy, what could be more important than the discussions having to do with the election of a president of the United States. Isn't this the kind of stuff the First Amendment should protect against uh, or protect them for opining or talking about without having to get sued because they are talking on a matter of public interest? Can you walk us through that briefly?
0: Well, definitely. And and it's been long recognized, even in common law, before we, we had the Constitution and the First Amendment, that uh, when there were protections still for some form of speech before we had the First Amendment, there's always been the e- exemption or the exception to the First Amendment for defamatory conduct. and And so when it... But then, obviously, the political speech, which is meant to be protected by the First Amendment, that's why there is always that higher standard, both for news, journalism, as well as political campaigning to discuss about the actual malice Um, and, and having that element, basically the reckless disregard for the factual statement. Now, again, also opinions, though, and the opinion privilege that we mentioned before, that would also be a privilege that can be asserted. But to the extent that you're trying to assert a factual statement as an opinion – um, is not good enough. You but, can't but, hide course. an opinion
1: as a fact. In other words, you can't you That's can't exactly envelop right. an and opinion with the gloss of a factual statement. That's what they're saying. correct. Right. But
0: okay. but you know, being funny, hyperbole, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, exaggeration, yeah. saying your political opponents an alien. Yeah, you know, all of those things it, that people would not reasonably believe to be true. Yeah. and that was one of the arguments that Fox tried in this case too. Is that well, you know, just because we had these people, these guests that were on nobody would have thought that they were actually true Uh you know so some uh of some uh of the other uh allegations uh um but it it, there is a fine line and and here in arizona we've dealt with it on on, in multiple cases on defamation cases dealing with campaigns Mm -hmm. and the arizona supreme court and, and the united states supreme court too has said there is, there is a line, right? I mean, politicians and news can go all the way up to one, one line, but the moment that it, it becomes reckless disregard for the facts yeah. or meant to injure somebody, then, you know, it's going uh, it, it's, it's, it to be considered shrapnel.
1: Brett Johnson, that was great work. Thank you, sir. If they uh, study you. this decision in uh, journalism courses, they just uh, run out of time. They can get the cliff notes of this half hour you've spent with us. Thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate it. You betcha. Brett Johnson from Snell & Wilmer. I'm Seth Liebson. John Shattig will be with us and we'll be right back.